Please open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and look there with me, beginning in verse 16. Here the apostle sets forth how that there is a day coming when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. My friend, soon somebody's going to kiss you goodbye for the last time. Soon you will meet God in judgment. Soon you will either enter into the wrath of God and hell's everlasting torments, or soon you will enter the bliss of God's grace and heavenly glory with Christ Jesus the Lord. And it will all together be determined by whether or not you know God's gospel. My friend, if you don't, you'll perish forever. But if you do know Him, if you believe the gospel, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as He's revealed in the gospel, you have eternal life. This morning, I'm going to speak very plainly to you, and I pray that God will give me a hearing. I trust I'm not the only one who longs to thank God afresh for sinners that receive the Word of God, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. And so, my friend, you'll either leave here this morning rejoicing, thanking our Heavenly Father for the gospel of His dear Son, or you'll leave here just as much a child of wrath as you came in. But either way, whether you receive Christ or not, whether you love His words or not, you're going to hear His gospel. My friend, do you know what a fable is? There's a book called Aesop Fables. It's a series of short stories, just a bunch of stories made up to give some good moral lessons. I find it a little ironic that they want to teach moral lessons with that which is basically nothing more than lies. But when all is said and done, it serves to illustrate very well what Paul warned Timothy about regarding the time we now live in. Paul wrote to young Timothy in his second epistle, there in chapter 4, Paul writes, Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, almost everybody, I mean everybody you and I know in our personal lives, at work or in our extended families, almost everybody you and I know, people who are religious, Baptist, Methodist, Roman Catholic, doesn't really matter. Well, many of them, if not all of them, have been turned unto believing fables. Now, I'll give you three fables commonly believed, taught, and preached everywhere in the world. And you've heard these fables all your life. Here's the first one. God loves everybody. They go around saying, 
Did you know God loves everybody? My friend, no, he doesn't. And if you've ever read your Bible, you know he doesn't. Now, you may cut it out. You may ignore that fact. But if you've ever read your Bible, you know that this is what God says. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. God doesn't say Jacob I have loved and Esau I have loved less. No, no. God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. My friend, that's God's word. That's not my word. That's the word of God. You see, God doesn't love everybody. Now, if God loves you, if God loves you, everything's all right. If God loves you, you're going to wind up in glory. But to tell people that God loves them apart from faith in Christ is to speak to them what God does not say. And beloved, we rejoice to know God is love, but God loves sinners only in Christ, with Christ, and only in Christ. The second religious fable people have heard all their lives is that Jesus died to redeem and save everybody. Now, where on earth does anybody get that nonsensical idea? I do not know. It's not found written anywhere in in God's book. My friend, you won't find one hint of it, not one suggestion of it, not one single word in his holy book that suggests he died to redeem and save everybody. For you see, the Lord Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. We read in Isaiah chapter 53, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And the scripture says Christ died in the room instead of his people. Our Lord himself declares, not once, but two times, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. (laughs) I love that word, many. He didn't say a few. He said many, beloved. But get that thought out of your mind that he died for everybody. You see, if God loves everybody, and some people go to hell anyway, The love of God is not worth a hill of beans. I mean, if Christ died for everybody and some people go to hell anyway, then then the death of Christ is utterly and completely meaningless. That would mean he died in vain for many who are in hell right now. What blasphemy, what dishonoring blasphemy to teach or preach such such a message. And then people tell us that God the Holy Spirit is trying to save everybody and that he gives everybody a, a, quote, an opportunity or a chance to be saved. My friend, there are people all over this world right now at this very moment who've never even seen the word of God or heard the gospel of God's grace. And so, my friend, no, God the Holy Spirit doesn't try to save everybody. I mean, where did you ever read that in Scripture? I mean, God trying to do something? I try. You try, but not God. You see, my friend, God doesn't try. Rather, he does. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 1, whatsoever he doeth prospers. (laughs) That's not describing you, my friend. That's not describing me. That's describing our never-failing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, when God convinces He doesn't try to convince. He convinces. He didn't try to convict. He convicts. 
He doesn't try to save. He saves. And salvation is God's work. Indeed, salvation is of the Lord. Well, Pastor, where does that leave man? Nowhere except in God's hands. And my friend, that's a good place for you and me to be. What about man? What's man's part in this? My friend, you don't have one. Man is dead in trespasses and sins and utterly and completely helpless. You who believe not, you believe not because you're rebels against God. Your hearts are enmity against God and you will not bow to God. Well, pastor, how then are we to be saved? Listen to God's word. So then, salvation is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Oh, may God show mercy on your soul. Beloved, by God's undeserved grace, he makes us to differ, and we actually and really believe God. God. What a word. God, who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? There is none like unto thee. He alone doeth great wonders. He who is our God is God indeed, beloved. My friend, the God we worship is not some good luck charm. He's not a rosary bead. He's not a rabbit's foot. The God we worship is God Almighty. And he's in absolute control of everything and everyone, always and everywhere. Everything and everybody in heaven. Everything and everybody in the earth. Everything and everybody in hell. Everything and everyone is in his hands. My friend, God's not in your hands. You're in his. God's not manipulated by you. You're ruled and overruled by him so that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. He who is God, the creator of all things, is the ruler of all things. Listen to his word. All things are of God. No ifs, no ands, or buts about it. For of him, that's the source and through him, that's the means by which they're done. And to him, that's the end of all things. And are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Either God's God, absolutely ruling all things, in absolute control of all things and all the affairs of providence from the beginning to the end, the ruler of everything, the governor of everything, and disposer of everything, or God's just a name. You see, if your God doesn't rule, you worship an idol, a figment of your imagination. If your God's not sovereign, your God is no God at all. If your God is not as our God, you have no God. Your God is like Dagon, just an idol that falls and breaks his nose, just an idol that stands there and can do nothing, let alone do anything good. Beloved, our God is in the heavens and he had done whatsoever he hath pleased. My friend, that means that salvation is in God's hands. That means that God saves whom he will. That means he has mercy on whom he will. 
He is gracious to whom he will be gracious, and he predestined everything that comes to pass in time exactly as it comes to pass for the saving of his people to the praise of his glory. It's not a trite verse in God's only holy book for us, beloved. We know. (laughs) I love that we know. It's not something we psych ourselves up to believe or we'd like to think so. Beloved, truly, we know. All things work together for good for those who love God, the called according to his purpose. And so, beloved God, our God is in the heavens, and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. If the Lord hadn't moved me out of Canada, then Colombia, then a Mexican church named El Camino, I'd never have met a man named Cody, a faithful minister of the gospel. You see, if the Lord hadn't overruled, I'd still be hating the perfect gospel of Christ and busy about getting others busy for Jesus, trying to establish their own so-called righteousness rather than rejoicing and making mention of His righteousness alone. My friend, the first thing you need to understand is how by nature we're born hating God. And by nature, we hate His Son. We hate His righteousness In a word, we hate the truth, we hate the life, and we hate the way of his salvation. You see, this thing called total depravity, those just aren't words. Rather, total depravity refers to the fall of man in the garden. Remember when Adam sinned in the garden? God created Adam as the representative of all men. And being the representative of all men, the scripture says, when Adam sinned, we sinned. When Adam died, we died, so that all men inherit by birth the nature of their fallen father, Adam. All men and women come into this world as babies speaking lies. Which of you mothers ever had to teach your children to lie? Which of you ever had to teach your child how to do wrong? That's what we are by nature, totally depraved. That's the nature of every man, woman, and child in this universe from Adam. Everyone. Now, you may not like it, but you believe it. Now, you can deny it, but experience bears witness to the reality of our nature, and it's totally and utterly depraved. It's as true today as when it was written in God's Word in the book of Genesis. The wickedness of man is great in this auditorium, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Don't believe that? Want to deny that? Go ahead and stand up and tell your wife everything that's going through your mind this morning. Go ahead and tell this assembly everything you've thought today, this very hour. Every thought that's run through your mind. My friend, you know in yourself, the heart of man is evil, only evil continually full of the corruption out of which comes nothing but poison, ungodliness, and sin. And indeed, that's what our Lord and God has taught us. And so a result of, and so as a result of man's depravity, as a result of man's fall, men and women are declared in Scripture to be dead in trespasses and in sins. Graveyard dead. Dead men don't feel anything. Dead men don't do anything. Dead men don't hear anything, and all men by nature are dead. 
so that none seek after God. None will hear the word of God. I mean, hearing to receive it. And so left to ourselves, none will come to Christ. None will believe on Christ. None will follow Christ, but rather all will rebel against him, left to ourselves. Our Savior said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. What does that mean? My friend, that means that if salvation comes to anybody, it's got to come by God's choice. Do you know what the Bible calls that? Election. What a blessed word. You see, my friend, if God had not elected some to come, no man would have ever come to him. Remember, my friend, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ teaches. This is the Lord's doctrine. You see, it is whomsoever God wills to come that will come to him. And so it is not the Bible doctrine of election by grace that's in question here. There's nothing strange, wrong, or unfair about it. Rather, the only thing which is strange, wrong, or unfair, and out of place is the creature who is objecting to God's election. I mean, what right had any man, or indeed what right has any man, to dispute with God over what God has done and the way he has chosen to do it? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Our Savior said, those disciples, and this is true of you too, beloved, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I encourage you to go find that portion, and you'll see there not one murmur, not one complaint from the disciples. It's such a comforting truth. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And so if you believe on Christ... It's because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. John Newton used to tell a whimsical story of a good woman who said, Ah, sir, the Lord must have loved me before I was born, or else he would not have seen anything in me to love me afterwards. Spurgeon continued and said, I'm sure it is true in my case, for I believe the doctrine of election, because I'm quite certain, quite certain, that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. And I'm sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. So I am forced to accept that great biblical doctrine, election. End quote. My friend, nobody, nobody is saved apart from election. You see, God chose from eternity whom he would save. And that, with absolutely no reason to do so, except his own sovereign will. You see, God's choice of man doesn't depend upon them, not something he sees in them, not something he hopes they will do, not some actions of theirs, but beloved from eternity, he said, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in Christ. What a glorious message. What a glorious gospel. Beloved, our Heavenly Father chose us in Christ in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Does someone say, I didn't even know the Bible taught election? Well, my friend, maybe you ought to read it and quit listening to those charlatans who lie to you about God and men. You see, this book is full of comfort for sinners. And this glorious truth called election is the guarantee that many people shall be saved. Indeed, all his people shall be saved from their sins. My friend, election is the guarantee of the salvation of all the people loved of God. Those people actually and really redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know some people have the idea that Jesus died for everybody and made it possible for everybody to be saved and made it possible for everyone to go to heaven if you would just believe. Now, I've heard that possibility false gospel from Canada to Mexico. I mean, when you ask these people what they believe and you suffer to listen to their enmity and hatred for our Lord according to the Bible, I mean... You talk about night and day, night and day. You see, there's nothing gray about it. What did the Apostle John say? He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so these false preachers, well, I know they have not the Son of God. I mean, when they speak, they don't speak the truth when speaking of Christ and Him crucified. You see, both they and their so-called denomination or church believes that Jesus died for everybody, but his death didn't really redeem anybody. They believe he just made them redeemable, but he didn't really save anybody. They believe he just made them savable, but he didn't really justify anybody. They believe he just made it possible for them to be justified, but he didn't really put away anybody's sins. Rather, he just made it possible for their sins to be forgiven. And that man, by his faith, his so-called free will, makes the death of Christ meritorious and effectual for his own salvation. Basically, they teach and believe that what Christ did won't work unless you make it work with what you do. That, my friend, is damning heresy. And you'll go to hell unless God shows you a better God and a better Savior. And my friend, that better God, that better Savior is the one we read about in the Word of God and not some made-up fable according to the teachings of men. You see, Christ didn't make salvation possible. No, no. Rather, He accomplished it. Beloved, He hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Every sinner for whom Jesus Christ died shall, must, and will be with Him in everlasting glory because the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ shall never be discovered a miscarriage. He shall not fail. Every sinner he came here to save will be with him in glory. He said, them also I must. 
call and save, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And those sinners redeemed by Christ are brought to him by the irresistible, omnipotent, all-powerful grace and power of God, the Holy Ghost. It's called irresistible grace. You see, my friend, apart from God making you willing in the day of his power, you'd never, never, never of your own natural will believe on Christ. You see, my friend, God must make you willing by the marvelous constraint of irresistible love. As the psalmist writes, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. O blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee. What was the psalmist saying? Heavenly Father, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for choosing such a sinner as I am and bringing me revealing to me your beloved, well-pleasing Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when God is pleased to reveal the beauties of holiness of the God-man, Jesus Christ, from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. You see, he becomes irresistible by the revelation of Christ, not merely to you, but ever so blessedly in you. The Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul set forth the mystery of Christ and his body, the church, as being comparable to a marriage between a man and a woman. He writes, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I remember when I asked Sandra to be my wife, December 25th, 1991. Christmas morning, a beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, a fresh powder of snow in the park by her house. And when I stooped down on bended knee to ask her if she would marry me, there wasn't a moment's hesitation. Not one fiber in her was opposed to her becoming my wife. Just the biggest smile you've ever seen and the most enthusiastic yes you've ever heard. How come? I was irresistible. Because I had made myself irresistible to her, I made sure she saw the very best of me, and she just couldn't resist. She was conquered by my love. That made her my wife. And our Heavenly Father, by the Spirit of God, makes Jesus Christ, our husband, is irresistible to his bride. Oh, that God would be pleased to conquer someone here this morning with his love. O Spirit of God, make Jesus Christ irresistible to every soul in this place. And if he'll so reveal Christ in you, in you, you'll come to him. You see, salvation's not coming to a preacher or coming to an altar. It's not coming up here up front. It's not walking the aisle or going to rub some rosaries. No, no. Rather, salvation is coming to a person. It's coming to him right where you are right now. If God's given you eyes to see and a heart to believe, that's called coming to Christ. Well, Pastor, don't you have to say a prayer? No. Don't you have to get baptized? No. Don't you have to join a church? Don't you have to walk down front? No, all that stuff comes from Rome. That's men doing something to make themselves think that, that they've done that they've come to God. You see, a man can, more, can no more bless himself than save himself. 
you know, um, people that have a Protestant background, they go around saying to everyone, God bless you. God bless you. Like it was in their power to, get, to bless other people. If we're to be blessed, God must bless us. The Roman Catholics do the same thing. They go around doing this, don't they? It's free will, free will religion. And in the same way they think that they can bless themselves by doing this or that, they also think that they can save themselves by doing this or that. Beloved, salvation is not what we do or don't do. Salvation is of the Lord. And so nobody's ever come to God by doing one thing and then doing another. If you come to God, you come to God by faith in Christ, and it's an act of the heart. It's an act of that new opened heart. He opens in us, beloved. I love all of the places the Holy Spirit preserves the testimony of true belief, true salvation, testimonies of people that are actually and really saved. Now, in false religion, you'll hear some pretender behind a pulpit with crocodile tears crying out, please let Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart. What a bunch of hogwash. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 14, we read there of our sister Lydia, that entrepreneurial woman, that seller of purple. And what does it say there? When she was listening to the Apostle Paul preach Christ and him crucified, it says there, the Lord opened her heart. <laughs> I love that. That's the difference between the gospel that saves and, well, away with this other man-centered false gospel that says it depends upon you. It doesn't depend upon you, beloved, for he's the author and finisher of our faith. Indeed, he's the author and finisher of our salvation. Now, beloved, there's one more aspect of our gospel, the gospel of God concerning his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more aspect that we find most delightful. Some people call it eternal security. Now, by that, most people mean that if you've made a profession of faith when you're five or six years old, then you're saved, even though you live like hell all your life. Well, that's not the eternal security we rejoice in. That's not it. I don't find security in that, beloved. Rather, this is eternal security. Our Lord declares, and God give you grace to hear his son's voice. Uh, our Lord said frequently, uh, Father, let him who has ears, let, let him hear. And I pray that God would be pleased to let all of his elect, all of his beloved people gather here this morning. Father, let them hear the voice of your son. Bless your word with the power of your spirit. Our Lord declares, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's the gospel. The Apostle Paul put it this way, being persuaded of that very thing that our Lord just said, how that his elect shall never perish. He said, I am persuaded out of a man of God. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what, beloved, 
no matter what. Well, what about all my faults, failures and falls? What about all my sin, unbelief and, and corruption? Beloved, no one and nothing can pluck us out of his hands. Read it again. Read it afresh this morning, this afternoon. Open up the Gospel of John, chapter 10. Read it there. Our Lord declares these things to his people. He who does not lie. No one and nothing can pluck us out of his hands. You see, beloved, our sins were forgiven us before they were ever committed by us. And he who cleanses us of all our sins continues to cleanse us from all sin forever. Now, Pastor, if you tell people that, they'll go out and live like hell. No, they won't. No, they won't. Not unless they want to live like hell. That's, that's just so. You see, saved sinners don't just hear the Savior. They follow Him and rejoice to know we're kept by the power of His grace through the faith He's given us and He sustains us. Beloved, though we fall seven times a day and fall we do seven times a day. Why did He say seven times? Why not 70,000 times? Seven speaks of completion. And you who are God's will bear me witness. You who are God's beloved people will bear witness. Every day, beloved, you rise up in the morning and you want to walk with Christ. You want to serve God in your mind and heart, in your life and deeds. And as soon as you put your feet on the bedroom floor, we don't do anything but fall and fall and fall. So that we must continually lean on the arms of the Almighty Savior who carries us at the last to glory. The righteous, though he falls seven times in a day, throughout the days of his pilgrimage on this earth, the scripture says the Lord will raise him up, and the Lord raises him up and keeps them until at the last he brings them to glory. Beloved, our brother declares, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does that mean? Simply this, for God's people, the best is yet to come. Our Lord declares, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Beloved, when we leave this body, we will be with our brothers and sisters that have gone on before us, enter into glory and life everlasting, awaiting the resurrection of the body, a new resurrected body, joined to spirit and soul in everlasting glory in the perfection of God's salvation. Oh, I pray God will give it to you and work it in you for Christ's sake, for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you once again undeservedly through the merits of your beloved, well-pleasing Son. We thank you, Father, for your, for your people. Your throne is not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace. We thank you, Father, that your Son has given us an understanding of the gospel. We do 
have an understanding, but there's so many things where we must confess they're, they're mysteri mysterious to us all, all the same. Your son said very plainly, very clearly to Nicodemus, we hear his words in John chapter 3, where he says, no one may see or, or let alone enter the kingdom of God except they be born of water and spirit. And he repeated and emphasized again the importance of this, this, this necessity of being born again, born from above. And so we cry out, Father, in your Son's matchless name, for Christ's sake and his glory, for the good and salvation of your people. For everyone gathered here this morning, Father, if there's someone here this morning who has yet not been quickened by your Spirit, who has yet not been born from above, I beg you, Father, for Christ's sake, grant everlasting life, quicken that dead spirit in that person, and cause them to not only understand and receive the gospel in their mind, but, Father, open up their heart and shed abroad in their heart a love for your Son, a love for you, Father, in the Spirit and your Word and your people. We know, Father, that left to ourselves, we'll just walk around like one who knows, knows nothing, nothing at all of your love. Just a, a corpse, a simulation, a, a pretender. Lord, we, we ask you for Christ's sake. Behold each and every one of us. And if we're not set in that way, the way of your Son, if we're not set in that way of life everlasting, I beg you, Father, overrule and conquer us by your irresistible love and the gospel of your Son. Show us what we are in the light and beauty of your darling Son. Show us our desperate need, how that from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, inwardly and outwardly is just putrid sores, and we have nothing, nothing clean in us, nothing that would commend us to you for one moment. Cause us all again, Father, as we remember the, the, the broken body and the precious blood of your Son. Give us a, a fresh look as we behold the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful, Father, that you've gathered us in this place to hear the gospel of our salvation. And Lord, we, we rest on the promise of your Son. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. It's not that you might be, but Father, your Son is in the midst of your people. Make us aware of that this morning, Father. Enable us to worship you in this observance of this ordinance of your Son in truth and in spirit. For we ask it and, and beg you, Father, in your Son's matchless name, for his sake and glory and the good of thy and salvation of thy people, we pray. Amen.